Welcome to Daily-ish, episode number 254 from Montreal, from our Experience and Innocence tour of Montreal. I am joined again by Sue. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Hi. As we record this in our uh, last full day in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've, so now we've now experienced the, we got the December show with Acrobat, the two bands playing on Monday night. And then also U2's concert last night. So I guess quickly, what, how did uh, the December Acrobats U2, hardcore U2 fan experience resonate with you after you experienced it? It was good. Yeah. I thought December was really good. I like their, I like her like kind of throaty. Bluesy. Bluesy kind of voice. Yeah. Like a I bet she's got a really good wail. Yeah. And I can see how, like, just singing. They didn't do a lot of U2 songs. They did mostly their own stuff. But um, just with, like, little interludes of maybe U2 in yeah. their song. Um, but I can see how them doing covers of U2 stuff is really good and, and like, different, but still gets the flavor of U2, you know? Yeah. So, anyways, I like them. Uh, also, they seemed really nice when we met yeah. them. Yeah, good Scottish folks. Mm-hmm. Um, she said backstage too that the like, and I've heard them say something similar to this before, but releasing a U two cover was like the, the last thing they wanted to do, and they were nervous about doing it because you kind of just don't do that if you're a U two fan. It's kind of the feeling sometimes. Right. And then they picked a sort of homecoming, which I think was the last song they did in their set. Um, and that was that one also on top of that is kind of like sacred ground of a U2 song that nobody really covers that well. But then I felt like anyways, when I heard it, they nailed it and put their own spin on it, but while still retaining the flavor of the original. So, yeah, um, yeah they're, they have three CDs out, I think. And so one is all U2 covers, I believe, and then the other sort of are more original. But yeah, all worth checking out, especially if you like a bit of that Celtic flair to your music um but with some u2 infused influences so and then acrobats was the strict like hard like cover band of u2 they'd basically try almost note for note to play the songs yeah. u2 does the way at various points in their career they pick sort of different eras to play each version of a song but any thoughts on their performance they were good like they're yeah they do a great job of covering like it was enjoyable. It was fun. You know, it's like a just listening to the music that you love, and um, but in a band kind of context, and and you don't get that kind of like you. It would be pretty rare to see a U two show playing their music in that kind of a context, like a small room. Yeah, like a hundred and some with, people, or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they give that experience. Which I actually found uh, there was more emotion I felt in that room of 100 people with some of the songs like that were just, and maybe it was the songs that resonated with me, but just that, you know, that moment of like feeling this song, we all have different experiences with it. We're all maybe, you know, different thoughts are running through our heads right now, but you're with 100 other people that are singing the exact same song and whatever, having that same moment with it. and Yeah. Um, I found I had more of those, more of that kind of wave of feeling in 
that concert, like with Acrobat, than I did with even in the big room. With you two. With you two. Like you're like at the Bell Center, obviously, with you two. And I don't know, I don't know why. There's going to give a reason, but I don't really know what the reason is. Well, yeah, Acrobat does a great job of like, and I, I was thinking when the show was, when we were at the show, like the songs, it does a great job of showing how the songs transcend even you two as a band performing them. Like the, yeah. whether it's the lyric or the music and the combination of those two and the performance, but like the, the songs, are, it was, I was just amazed at the, they covered the full gamut of their career in, in the, in the concerts that they did. And just how well the songs, I guess, held up over time, but also that doesn't need to be Bono necessarily singing. It obviously needs to be, you want it to be a good singer and good guitar player, et cetera, but that the songs are just really great songs. And there's like, and especially in a venue like that, how much they like, some of the songs really rock. Okay, so moving on to U2 then at the Bell Center, we, we saw night one and any thoughts on just, I guess, the experience of going there before we talk about maybe specific songs, but just the overall feeling of it. Yeah, it was good. I, I, it was a really great concert. Everything was a good experience. Standing in line, waiting to get in was fine. Like, you know, and, um, Hopefully we had good weather. It wasn't yeah. too hot. It wasn't, <laughs> we weren't standing in the rain and, and getting, you know, we kind of found a spot fairly easily and, was, we're fairly close to the stage, like at least the kind of walkway area that we wanted. We had decided we wanted to be, and yeah. So for you two fans who have been there or are going there, we were at close to the east stage, sort of where the east stage meets the catwalk with the or this walkway, I guess, back to the main stage for the band, where the screen, basically the edge of the screen, furthest mm-hmm. from the main stage, right where the east stage is. So um, yeah, we had nice folks around us as we entered the line and, yeah. and even when we ended up sitting down where we were and just started chatting with a couple beside us and they were really nice friendly Montreal folks and um yeah they, and they were really nice and that made I think that made our like I'm you know because you're sitting there for whatever two hours yeah maybe more than that even what time did we get in there well, well 6 30 to 8 30 yeah before yeah so like two hours you're sitting beside these yeah. whatever just kind of on Random the cement folks. floor yeah <laughs> um and so yeah it would help that that couple was really nice we chatted with them and got to talk about montreal and yeah here here their yeah stuff with it <laughs> we saw their stuff their experience with it yeah we saw a friend vid who i know through youtube stuff and also work she's i think toronto based and so she was there doing it's called Mixler, where you're just sending audio, live streaming audio of the, sh- the concert out to the show. So she was doing that, and there was, yeah, all around us, just nice folks. And so, mm-hmm. as whereas other shows we've been to, they, you know, you've had nice folks there, but then there's also some, like, drunk, obnoxious, selfish, whatever, yeah. kind of people who just kind of barge their way through like, and all that kind of stuff. get their, whatever, decide that they are going to get try and get in front of you and decide that they're going to elbow you and really don't care about the fact that you are also there to enjoy the concert. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. There's enough, uh, I don't know what they'd be called. GA probably shouldn't be calling them GA Nazis, but like general admission folks who like respect the, the line and respect where your space is and yeah. are all that kind of stuff. So, um, 
the experience of watching the concerts, I guess, though we had, there's lots of like, and this just happens when you're what, five, four, five, five, I think, right? In height. Five, I'm six, three. If you're five, three, I'm yes. six, one almost. And so obviously I have a bit better vantage than you do. Uh, you were standing in front of me more or less depending on where the band was. And so, um, but lots of like, the people around us weren't overly tall, but everyone as, was taller than like I think there there was the one girl beside us who was same yeah, height nice, or maybe but, yeah same same height maybe a little bit shorter but not much like yeah yeah but once they lift their cameras up and start recording everything yeah that's when it becomes a problem yeah because you can't find that you probably can't find that line of sight between heads and shoulders and, and then you add what like phones and arms into the mix yeah that and that, exactly that's like. And I have, um, it's probably a little bit of like my age maybe or generation or like, so I haven't been to a lot of concerts in the last 10 years, like since we started having kids, right? That just kind of puts a hamper on your concert going. So I haven't experienced a lot of concerts where everyone has a phone the whole time, constantly taking pictures, recording a video, all that kind of stuff. And I'd had a conversation with the girl beside me about it too. Like she also didn't enjoy that. So I was kind of like enjoyed having that camaraderie beside me of both of us feel like, I feel like we don't, sometimes people don't understand what they're missing in just being present in the moment and enjoying this rather than always thinking about how can I share this? How can I enjoy it later? Um, Like have this, like, yes, you want to capture the moment so that you can go back and remember it. But if you spend the entire time capturing the moment, then you go back and remember how you took pictures of it rather than actually how you really sat there and enjoyed it. And so, yeah. yeah. That, and so that was just like seeing how, like, there were so many phones in front of my face all the time that like half the time I was watching, <laughs> I was like watching the concert through their screen. And then I realized, well, why am I doing that? Like, let's... <laughs> actually look at the real Bono rather than, you know, I can look at a screen version of him anytime <laughs> I want. So, yeah. Yeah. That, now, like I noticed that one girl and like other people too, there's a big tall, bald, muscly bald guy who was like doing this too, where it's just like, just sticking their arm in the air and not like, they're not looking through their phone. So they are kind of like experiencing right. it, but they're just like randomly like filming. Yeah. And then also looking at the show. Yeah. And so like the filming part is just of their recording that they're doing is purely like for selfish reasons, blocking, like recording it and then blocking people's view yeah. at the same time. And so yeah, it's kind of like, like, you know, if I was to get on your shoulders, yeah, I think like, yes, that makes my concert experience better. Cause I can see it all, but also that makes us like, uh, whatever eight foot tall person standing in front of all those people. And which is not, you know, something yeah. that would be a bit disappointing if that's, suddenly happened right in front of you. And yeah. so I think just being aware that when you put your arm way up with your phone, that's like another head. And so it's like you have two <laughs> heads that are blocking. And for me being a short person that's constantly navigating my way around like heads and arms and whatever, it's like, well, then there's never a space, you know, our shoulders usually give, you know, give that space where I can put my head in between and then I yeah. can see. But if you have a hand with a phone and then you have another head and whatever, it's just, yeah, makes it hard to see. And to be clear, like it's, I'm all for people recording a video of a show, of a song or three to five songs or whatever. Like I recorded three songs for at U2 that I was kind of thinking there might be either something specific to Canada in, or was like 
Iris was a song that's just really important or meaningful to me as well and and acrobat and stuff and so like you're I picked those three very specifically intentionally but then didn't record little snippets of songs here and there but didn't have my hand up the whole time and I think that's where it feels a little bit over the top especially when you're like chances are there's going to be a concert documentary of this tour at some point which will have infinitely better video quality for the show and audio quality and it might not be the exact show you saw but it'll remind you of that experience of seeing that happen because they've the band does a fairly scripted tour, basically, fairly scripted show, and so. Um, but I digress. That's a yeah, other that's discussion, it. probably. <laughs> Any uh, particular songs that sort of jumped out at you that were like, as a ca- more casual U two fan, I guess that you were like when you heard them live, kind of spoke to you in a different way or a deeper way. Yeah, like when we were falling asleep last night, I was trying to tell you the the few that were really hitting home to me, so that I wouldn't forget. But I think. Um, like the uh for sure one is a powerful song to me it's like the first U2 song that I fell in love with that totally like like was you know convinced me that this this music is more than just just music you know like yeah has some depth to it so that and um and also there's more like just the the lead up to it with you right. know the whole the, women of the world take over yeah. um definitely a message that i can strongly get behind and i um yeah i love how they're using it to create awareness and and um poverty is sexist is such a great tagline i love that yeah i don't know whatever marketing firm came up with it. I'm sure it was some amazing marketing firm, but it, it is really, it's a really good, good one. Um, says so much just in three words. Yeah. Um, so the lead up to one, yeah, was very powerful. And then the song itself and even just for me personally, where I'm at in life and with my own life experience, I would say like that, um, you know, the, discussion of one and love and and hurt and togetherness and all of that has a lot more depth in my life right now and so I think I think just yeah it was just a moment for me just listening to it and and um definitely had tears running down my face while I was listening to it yeah it kind of resonates yeah. differently than when in the 90s when you first heard it maybe and yeah like this looking at the future of what love is or what life yeah. will be like or whatever. Yeah. So now you're kind of reflecting back on both like I'm sure immediate, but also, you know, yeah. 20 some years of, <laughs> yeah. of life since that song came out basically. So the other one that was interesting that you mentioned when, as we were falling asleep was um, staring at the sun, which I was kind of sh- surprised. I guess that, that one would be kind of like one that would jump out at you. Like you sort of made reference to it being an emotional song for some reason yeah i think well i think all the stuff because that was after acrobat right he did had done the whole mcfisto stuff before that and and um i i just i really like how u2 is so good at um just like naming the the temptation that they've been under you know like a lot of bands don't they don't really they're not really forthright with how hard it is to be 
rich, to be desired, to be, you know, all of that famous, famous, to be living in that and the struggle that comes with it. And I feel like you two so good at naming that. And so I, I don't, I guess coming off that message and just like really appreciating that message that they had just done. And then also, um, you know, just the description for that song for some reason was like, you know, how it just, he said it just kind of wrote itself and, and they didn't really know what it was about. And then it's slowly, you know, they, whatever, that willful blindness of, of choosing to, choosing to be kind of asleep to, to the world and to, to what's going on around you. And, um, yeah, it just, it was a message that kind of resonated with me. And so then it was, it was kind of like hearing the song for the first time because I hadn't heard it in a really long time. Plus, it was the first concert I went to, so it had that really. kind of strong right. emotion. I knew I knew the song, like I could sing along with it, but it was just like I hadn't really listened yeah. to it in a really long time, and and yeah, so it was, I don't know. It was a really good moment. I liked it. I. It's an interesting comment on like that song is an interesting comment on how on just the reoccurring themes of U2's music that happen within the world, like on a political level, even of just it was relevant in the '90s, late '90s when. Uh, mid nineties or whatever, when pop came out and people were willfully ignorant of the politics of the time in one way. And now, cause a lot of the imagery out of that is the, uh, the KKK marching in, mm-hmm. in the States. And that's yeah. what you're seeing on screen while they're singing this song. Um, and so it's like very, like you said, very obvious what they're talking. It's not, they're not being subtle at all. You see right. the Nazi symbol up on the screen, like they're, yeah. you know, and, and the, tiki marches and all that stuff that they're doing in in the states and so it's even in canada they're doing that they're displaying that same we we're kind of wondering at, at you too like would they change any of the visuals and stuff just because canada's not the u.s and they made it all mm-hmm. very much like this is what's happening south of the border canada is a light and it has maybe taken over that light that the u.s had in the terms of the world or whatever and you know that's a whole another debate but yeah um but yeah you're kind of like it's just that the nature of the cyclical nature almost of both the world and then you two songs that kind of keep finding their way back to relevancy, which just, again, I think speaks to the power of the song, like whether it was Acrobat, the band performing it or December or whatever, but how these songs can just like resonate throughout the world is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, which also, <laughs> which I feel like probably for you too is a sad, a sad thing as well, because, you know, back in, the 80s when they were first writing about, you know, like about the rights of, of humans, they they probably had a vision for 2018 to yeah. be a way better world. Yeah. And and now it's like, ah. Uh, <laughs> right? Well, they kind of reference why are, why are these songs still, still so relevant? Yeah. Why, why, why? They kind of ref- did something along those lines with Sunday Bloody Sunday where they stopped mm-hmm. playing it for a while just because they were like, nothing's we're singing this song and nothing's changing and it's yeah. kind of probably depressing and frustrating and you know now it just feels like it's turning into a pop song about nothing you know or whatever and so they mm-hmm. but then they eventually brought it back but um so they've come to some piece about that i guess but um yeah the there's uh, i found songs that i was sort of hoping to like there's the experience of, of listening to it with obvious acrobat in a small stadium or small venue versus hearing you two perform a song like love is bigger than anything it's way which is basically like sort of the second last song and and like wanting this expecting almost like to have 
an emotional response to it and then not really happening. And, you know, maybe because by that point, the band is at the other end of the stadium from us and we're, um, yeah, there's a disconnect that come that, yeah. you know, depending where the band was in relation to where you are, I think there was, um, you either felt really connected or, or somewhat disconnected. Cause you're kind of like, I'm sure, you know, up in the seats, like, I know when we saw Pop Murder or whatever, like way up in the top of the stadium, like you're kind of observing something that's happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas when the band is on the East stage, you're like a part of a thing that's happening. Yeah. It's much more of that sort of vibe. And so I think, um, yeah, love is bigger than anything. It's, it's like a powerful song that speaks to both of us. I think right in just ever since it came out and, and feels like it should be a big anthemic, kind of song at a stadium concert at arena concert like that Mm -hmm. but it does feel like maybe not quite enough people know it or or whatever the reasoning might be but um it's just interesting how those kinds of things you sort of have this expectations of of what's going to happen with a song even and it doesn't always sort of live up maybe because you have too high of expectations or i had too high of expectations for it but um any other standouts for you from the show that you remember no, like, I mean, I love the way it ended. Right. I definitely, I I loved the little house and the, you know, like representing his childhood home, right? Yeah. And then him pulling, he pulled, you know, the light bulb, this big light bulb out of it and just kind of swings it around the stage and like, as in like, it's hanging from the ceiling and he just pushes it and it's swinging and swaying there and, and, um, you know, just the whole the whole story that they were telling throughout the whole concert was to like recapture your innocence and and you don't have to don't don't run away from it so quickly and also um, there's a there's something to be had about about just you know like love right like like that's what you start with and that's what you end with and and that's what we're all trying to seek now and. Yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Those are all kind of very vague. <laughs> well, it sounds cliche maybe, but like, yeah. love, not like love in the whatever physical sense or love in the superficial sense for sure. But that idea of like, whether it's for world peace or for the poverty of sexist or campaign or um, combating evil, mm-hmm. that love is bigger than anything and will win in the mm-hmm. end this kind of yeah that idea and like and so much more powerful it's very it's so easy to hate and so hard and, yeah. to love and and i think the older you get the more truthful that becomes and and i think that's what he's right like that's the, the ending of it is calling people back to that innocent love and just saying you know it's it's not easy but this simple concept is you know, the simple, innocent concept of our youth is something that we need to recapture. Yeah. Yeah. Or they got a lot of slack for, or, um, yeah, for like say pride in the name of love and like people like, it's almost just like cliche and you're just shouting love in a concert full of 30,000 people. Of course they're going to respond, mm-hmm. but like that he's, they've kind of stuck to that idea throughout their career. Right. Is admirable, I think, and proves that it's not just like a little thing they do. And, uh, and then also, I think the experience he had, the near-death experience of, of whatever it was, heart attack or whatever he had before the Joshua Tree tour happened, and they kind of reworked this album, the Songs of Experience album, and then reworked the the tour that happens as well, to like wanting, what kind of legacy does he want to leave people with? And as a band, what do they, do they want to leave people with? Because they're, 
if they could like rock bands could go like sort of the stones route of like the greatest hits tour because we want to leave everybody with our legacy of all these great songs we wrote and rock out with them mm-hmm. or do we leave them with a story and a message that resonates hopefully long beyond even when the songs maybe stop that they're left with and so I think it's admirable even in spite of maybe people trying like sort of being a bit frustrated there's no big huge song anthemic streets have no name kind of ending to the concert Mm -hmm. that they leave you with this thing that feels almost like a bit of a church service or something where it in I mean if it was in church circles you'd kind of like they might put up on the screen you'd Please, no talking until everybody's outside of the arena right. or whatever. And it's like silence. a Good Friday service or something. Like, <laughs> please reflect on this. Um, unfortunately, they have like the Moment. PA music kicks in like within 30 seconds almost of him walking off stage and lights come up in the stadium and or arena. But, um, and I think, and that that's a purposeful thing, right? Like, just to signify it's, it's really over. Don't sit here waiting for us. Like, we, yeah, we are yeah. gone. Yeah. And th- that's the end. Elvis has left the building. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, like, yeah, I just noticed, I don't know when the light bulb turned off, but I noticed that it just stayed, stayed. lit. Yeah. Like, that was, because I, I was kind of like, are they going to, you know, ends don't let it go out, right? And I'm like, are they going to turn it out? <laughs> or what are they going to do? How are they going to do the symbolism here? Or whatever? Yeah. But yeah, it just stays. And then, and then I don't know when it, like, it, you know. Yeah, I didn't notice. We were... Went back up into the ceiling and. Yeah. I don't notice when it went out, but just the whole symbolism there, I think, and, and quiet ending of reflection, just, yeah, I, I think that that is, um, if a band can end that way, rather than wanting all of the praise and glory at the end, you know, look how great we are, come on, keep cheering us on, you know, like, because I'm sure that's pretty addictive to want to oh, get yeah. back on stage and, and feel that, you know. Yeah. And and the fact that they chose not to end with that, but more with here, we want to leave you with this reflective message. Yeah. That's huge. Like, that's, and I, I highly respect that. Yeah. And the thing that I've often, the cynical side of me, I, um, I've gotten a bit of flack for it sometimes on the YouTube podcast is like, wondering how much of what they do is intentional versus sort of happy accidents and like Mm -hmm. but they whether it's the four guys in the band or their creative team around them that helps with the staging and design and stuff of the theatrics of it all Mm -hmm. there's very little that's left to random chance and so you have to know like watching that show every bit of it is intentionally done like there's moments where Bono has some freedom to say a little more obviously or edge might go off a little bit off script with the solo he does but it's more it's a more like a scripted show that you're watching than just whatever they decided to do next and sort of where they decided to go like to the point where they have blocking for like where bono should stand so it looks like he's spitting on the edge on the screen and stuff right just all of those moments and even i noticed edge like walking down the barricade the catwalk thing and he starts turning around to come back and the camera that's tracking with him had already turned back with him. Like it knew mm. at that moment he's turning around. Yeah. Yeah. And, totally. he's, and there's, that's not even anything that's happening. There's no, he's not on the screen with that camera. I don't know where that camera is going. Like maybe yeah. just around the arena and for their own video catalog or whatever. But like, yeah, it's just that level of detail that they're, it's practiced and spotted. And, you know, yeah, he knows where to walk, walk this to this point, turn around, walk back. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, they, and that's where I think a career of their, how long they've had, you can say that's like, 
well, where's the rock and roll in that? Maybe, but like they have had plenty of tours with lots of spontaneity and lots of mm-hmm. the other extreme. And so now they're just trying to put on a specific kind of show, I think. And so, but yeah, any closing thoughts on U2's experience in Montreal? Um, no, it was really great. I left feeling very satisfied with the concert. So I, yeah, I would say. As a casual fan, like this is your one show that you're seeing mm-hmm. that was, do you regret not like a question we often get on the podcast is like, do you regret or where should you stand? And do you regret not seeing more of the screen? Let's say, cause mm-hmm. that was like sort of your one shot to see what was on the screen and anything involved there. Or do you wish you were closer to the main stage or. It's hard to say because my experience was quite good right there. I liked how close we were to the band when they were on the stage in front of us. Like, yeah. The East stage. Yeah. Yeah. And I could at least, and where we stood, I'm glad we didn't go right by the East stage because then we couldn't have seen the screen at all. And I, and that would have bugged me that I couldn't see what was happening on the screen. Yeah. So at least it was an option. It was very big and right in front of us. So what I couldn't see it well, and I would like to go back and, <laughs> you know, maybe watch whatever videos so I can maybe connect the dots of like what was happening on the screen at the same time. Yeah. Um, but that's something you can do online and I don't feel like you're necessarily missing out on any. Yeah. Thing. In a moment thing. Yeah. Like what, what was happening on the screen isn't as important to me as being, you know, right up close and seeing Bono sing right in front of you is really pretty cool. Yeah. So There's I, the, uh, the one element of when during Acrobat they sing and he sort of goes into this McFisto character beforehand, which is all done via with like a Instagram or Snapchat kind of overlay. That's you only are aware of what he's doing on the screen. Otherwise it looks like he's just talking to a mirror, which also has its own effect. Like mm-hmm. that's where I think I was kind of it, that moment or that re, like bit stands on its own, just watching it on the East stage without mm-hmm. even being aware of the screen. Like you you can get that he's in character. He's a bit dressed up. He's got some makeup on. Yeah. And I think that alone even works even if you're not aware that there's actually like sort of this grotesque looking devil guy who's actually talking kind of thing. And so yeah. it's sort of like one part, one part screw tape letters and yeah. McFeasto devil character guy. So, mm-hmm. um, but anyways, we could talk, I could talk forever, which I'll probably do on the <laughs> YouTube podcast that we do later <laughs> when I'm back. But, um, all right. I think we'll cut it off there. I'm going to tonight's show. And you're not, so I'll get to experience it, I guess, solo or whatever ends up happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I run into some people or just stand like a weirdo by myself. And uh, you can follow along. I'm on Twitter at iChris, Instagram, where I'll post a few things. iChrisV2, because my first account got deleted. And uh, thanks for being on the show with me again. Thanks. So. Yeah. Glad to be here. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Hope you have a good day wherever you are in the world. And I'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Here. I was gonna see if you're gonna keep going. <laughs> I I kind of I can hear it in my head, but I can't. <laughs>